What's going on, everyone? My name is Brian Williams, and I am the pastor of Restoration Church in Traverse City, Michigan. Thanks so much for allowing us into your digital life and tuning in to this message. If you'd like to get involved with anything we have going on, you can do so at restorationtc.com. While you're there, you can find out about events, get to know a little bit more about what we believe, and you can also give a donation. Now, we're set up a little different than most in that we have a community account where 100% of your donation goes directly back into the community, both locally and globally. We've partnered with organizations like Freedom Builders here in Traverse City, World Orphans, and Charity Water. We also have an overhead account that helps fund the mission and vision of the church. Our vision is people following Jesus, and our mission is transparency, community, and change. Thanks again for checking out the message. Now let's get to it. Good morning. What's happening? <laughs> People don't know how to respond to what's happening. They're like, wait, hi, uh, okay. Yeah, cool, whatever. Um, my name is Brian, like Clayton said. I'm so glad that uh, you guys are here with us this morning. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really even feel the need to preach after what Clayton just said. I feel like we can just close up shop maybe open up the brewery and then just hang out for a while. But I did prepare some content, so um, I'm going to give it anyway, uh, whether you like it or not. And so it'll only take about two hours to get through everything we got to get through today. So cancel your lunch plans, because um, we're going to be here a while. Ah, oh, dang it, my timer's working. So I guess I, guess I won't. Um, <laughs> so, so glad that you guys are here, whether you're here in person or online, or you're listening uh, to the podcast a little bit later on. Uh, we just want to say thank you for being here. I, I saw a cool thing um, this week with our podcast. I don't know if you guys saw it or not. We're in a few different states of people uh, listening to it, not like states of consciousness, um, but like different states of the United States of America. And also, I think they're like, somebody's listening in like Russia or Germany or something, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, I don't know how they found out about us, but I'm sorry. Um, and yeah, but we've got, we, there, there are several states that, that are represented um, with Restoration Church. And I don't know how, I don't know why, but you know, that's pretty cool, I guess. Um, but yeah, we are in this series called Promises, and we've been in it for a while now. Uh, we're going to be in it through the rest of summer, and Promises is based on, on the book of Genesis, um, specifically the middle part of Genesis. We're looking at the life of Abraham right now, and, and we're doing series all throughout the book of Genesis. Our first series was called That Escalated Quickly, and uh, that was all about the first 11 chapters of, of creation, and, and Adam and Eve, and Noah, and the flood, and the Tower of Babel, and then uh, we get to Genesis 12, and things really slowed down, uh, and we get to see the life of Abraham, and we've been in there since Genesis 12, and 12, I said that weird, and now we are in Genesis chapter 18. And I want to recap a little bit from last week, if you don't mind. Uh, don't worry, we won't go into the surgery thing anymore this week. But uh, I will say, Abram had surgery with him and his buddies, and it was pretty painful, obviously, probably. Um, and that's all we're going to say about that. God had made some promises to Abram. He's been making some promises to Abraham. And uh, they haven't come true yet. They haven't been fulfilled yet, but he's still trusting and still believing. And, and, and God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means from father of many 
to uh, a, a multitude of nations, to a father of a multitude of nations. That's what that word Abraham means. And so God elevated his promise to Abraham. And then he also, this is what I want to bring up, he also changed Sarai's name to Sarah. I've been saying Sarah all along because I don't, I, I'm, I'm self-conscious about the way I say Sarai, so I was just saying Sarah the whole time. I just want to let you in what goes on in my brain. Um, that's, that's why I was doing that. If y'all were like, why is he saying Sarai, Sarah? That was why. There was no, no theological reason to it whatsoever. I was just like, I don't like the way that I say Sarai, so I'm going to say Sarah because I'm self-conscious about myself. And um, that's all there is to it. So she changed her name. She got her name changed to Sarah. Uh, God changed her name, um, which means more of like a, 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 um, like, like a princess style of a name is what Sarah means. And so, um, yeah, so we've got her name changed. Um, and, and the Lord also, this is the other thing I wanted to make sure that I mentioned, is that God promised them a child within one year of chapter 17. Within one year, God was going to give Abraham and Sarah a child. Now, Abraham's 99 years old at this point, and Sarah is about 90 years old at this point. And so, like I've said before, they're a little bit past the days of being able to have a child. So um, that's an interesting thing that we get to see. But we are in chapter 18 today, and we're just going to get started, and um, we'll, we'll go through some verses here. Starting in verse 1, it'll be on the screen if you don't have it. Uh, if you've got a tablet or a device or your actual Bible, we encourage you to open those up as well because sometimes I put things in here that um, aren't actually in here just to keep you guys on your toes. So uh, here we go, verse 1. <laughs> I can't believe anything Brian says anymore. You're probably right. All right, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. I want to stop there. How often, how often do we miss God because we're looking down? How often do we miss God just because we're looking down? It says that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And how many, often, how, how many times do, do you and I miss something because we're just busy looking down? We get distracted by whatever's right in front of us that we forget to continue to look up. We don't, we don't see what's around us. We don't see our surroundings. We're so busy with the tasks that we have at hand with, with maybe what's going on with the culture that we forget to look up and see where God is at. And sometimes God passes us by and we don't even know it because we're too busy with the things that we're dealing with in our own lives. The other thing I want to, how did he know that it was God? Do you ever wonder, do you ever just wonder those types of questions in, in scripture? If you read something and you're like, how did he know? How did he know that that was the Lord? I mean, we all know what Jesus looks like, right? He's, 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 he's got blonde hair, blue eyes. He always has a lamb over him. Uh, he's just walking around always with a lamb. And so like, I understand how maybe he knew that it was God because you know, he showed up with a lamb over him and it was a very sparkling white and uh, with, a, with a purple sash across his chest, right? That, so it's pretty easy to see where, where Jesus shows up on the scene. But are you guys tracking at all? No? Okay. <laughs> That's not true. Um, how did he know that it was God? How did he know that this was the Lord of the earth, that this was uh, uh, what he would call Adonai? When he, when he says, uh, when he talks to the Lord, it is, it is Adonai. And now there's, if you look in the, um, in your Bible, if you've got it 
uh, that says, and the Lord. When it says the Lord, if you look in your scripture, I don't think it'll be here on the screen, but if you look in the scripture, uh, Lord is capitalized. Like L-O-R-D is capitalized. And that's because that is uh, the term Yahweh. And they would not, they would not write Yahweh down. They were, they were afraid to write the name Yahweh. So they wrote this in all caps, Lord, what we would now call Lord. But they wouldn't dare write the name Yahweh. That's the highest name of God. That's the, the most tremendous name. And you dare not speak it. You dare not say it because of his power and his righteousness and his goodness. And then there's this other one, Adonai, which also can, can be termed as like a judge. A righteous judge is what Adonai can mean. But I don't know, I don't, I don't have an answer for you as to how he knew that this was God. I don't know. It doesn't say. So I'm just going to keep going on because I don't know the answer. Somehow Abraham recognizes that it's God and responds appropriately. He bows down before him. And I want to contrast this real quick uh, with, with, with chapter 19. We haven't gotten there yet. We're going to get to that next week. And you're not going to want to miss it because, well, you might want to, but you shouldn't miss it because it's going to be really, really good. Um, th there's a contrast here between what Abraham does and what Lot does in chapter 19. Now, I, I should... There's no need for spoilers, like I've said before. It's been around for a few thousand years, so if you haven't read it, that's on you. Verse 1 of, of chapter 19 says, 19 says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. G, or, uh, Abraham rushes out to meet these servants. He's sitting where he's supposed to be sitting. He's sitting in his home. He's sitting at the, trees, uh, at the trees of Mamre. This is a place where he was spending a lot of time. Contrasted with Lot, Lot is sitting at the gates of Sodom at this point. Before he had just moved to Sodom, just on the outside of Sodom, because Sodom was a nice place. He had a lot of, there was a lot of amenities for, for him to get into. Lot could get into a lot of things in Sodom if he needed them. There was like a grocery store nearby. There was places where you could trade. It was an easy place. The, the grass was greener over by there. So Lot chose to go there, and we're going to see what happens next week. And I'm not going to say anything more about it, but there is a large contrast between what Lot does and what Abraham does. And it shows the relationship that each of them have with God Almighty. Let's keep going, because I just spent <laughs> 10 minutes on two verses. Three, verse 3. And um, so, so Abraham bows his head himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three siyas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. So one of these three is Jesus. One of the three uh, that show up is Jesus. Anytime we see a manifestation of, of God in, in a physical form, uh, in the Old Testament, we can assume that, Jesus, that, that it's Jesus showing up, the pre-incarnate Jesus. 
Because we have God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. No one can look on the face of God and live. No one has ever seen the face of God here on earth. And so we know that it's God the, it can't be God the Father because he hasn't come down. He's not there. He's where he's supposed to be. But his, his, and his spirit is, is around, but you don't see the spirit. So the only thing left is, is God the Son. God in flesh, as he's called in the New Testament. So anytime we see that God appears to someone in the Old Testament, you can, you can assume that it's going to be Jesus. Oh, cool. All right. Good deal. I just wanted to get that out there. Uh, th- th- this was also a, a culturally thing for them to do, for what Abraham is about to do. He didn't do this because it was a specific thing that he needed to do for, for, his, uh, for, for, for God. He didn't do this because he knew that it was God. This was a cultural thing to say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come? Uh, I'll feed you. I'll give you guys a towel to wipe off your feet because they're in a desert land. It's kind of dusty. There's a lot of dirt, and uh, they wear, wear sandals like I do, which is why I wear sandals because I think it's a little bit more holy to wear sandals than it is to wear shoes. I just think that that's, uh, that's in the Bible somewhere. Jesus wore sandals, so, so do I. Um, you guys can, can mock me later if you want to. Uh, that's actually not true at all. I mean, Jesus did wear sandals, but it doesn't make you more holy. Anything you wear is not going to make you more holy, which is why I'm wearing these pants and this shirt, because uh, outward appearance doesn't necessarily mean anything. I wasn't going to go there at all. But this was a cultural thing for, for, for guests to do, for, for guests to stop by. You would give them something to eat. You would uh, make some bread if you had any around. You would, you would prepare a meal for them, and you would be very hospitable. We talked about that a little bit last week. And so Abraham is just doing a cultural thing here. Keep going. 9 and 10. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Have you ever heard, led someone into a convo that you want to have with them? Whether it's through text message or something, like you, 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 you kind of go a roundabout way to do it. Like, you're like, oh, hey, what's going on? And they're like, hey, I'm doing really good. Cool. Um, so, what do you think about this? Like, we, we have to get the formalities out of the way before, before we do that. And, and then we kind of introduce a topic of like, so what do you think about um, uh, uh, what, what's going on in the world today? Like, because it, you have very, something specific that you want to share with that person. Like, you have ideas, you have opinions, and you're like, I, w- I want to just, how do I bring up this topic? Uh, so, do you, do you, have, ha, have you done anything with horses lately? And you're like, horses? I don't, I don't have any horses. Why are we talking about horses? I don't know. Oh, because um, here's what I learned about horses recently. I don't know why I'm picking horses. I don't know anything about them. I'm allergic to them, so I don't really like them. Um, I like them. I just don't like being around them. And I would like being around them, but I just can't because I'm allergic to them. So, um, but you, you have this, this, this like, you, you want to bring something up. I think that's what God is doing here. He's like, hey, where's your, where's your wife, Sarah? Where's she at? Why is God asking that question? Do you ever think about that? Why, why is God asking that question? Where's Sarah? If we say that God is an all-knowing God, if he's omnipotent, if he is, um, he, he's been before us, after us, always will be, he doesn't change, he is God Almighty, why does he have to ask this question? Where's your wife? Where's Sarah at? He knows exactly where Sarah is. He knows she's in the tent, just hanging out. But he's approaching the topic, and he's getting Abraham to start talking. Yeah, she's in the tent. And then God says, oh, by the way, you guys are going to have a child within a year. So this is just a couple of months after 
Abraham's surgery, at most a couple months after the surgery. So that explains why he's just hanging out at the tent, not doing much. He repeats the promise again. Abraham repeats this promise again, or God repeats this promise again to Abraham. And he does so because Abraham's a human being. Abraham's just a human being, just like you and I, where we constantly forget things. We, we get so involved in our own minds and in our own heads and in our own whatever we've got going on that we forget what God has told us. We forget. This past week we were talking in our men's group and in our women's group. I think it was this week. Yeah. Um, we're going through the book of James, and it's, it's talking about how to be doers of the word and not only hearers of the word. And, and a hearer of the word only is like someone who looks intently at his face in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. See, we have to be constantly reminded because we are human and we're flawed. So God has to remind even Abraham, Father Abraham, the big guy, the, the, one of the main characters in all of the Old Testament, like one of the most influential, one of, one of the most important people in the Bible, God has to continually remind this guy of the promises that he's made to him. So if he has to continually remind Abraham, there's hope for you and I. There's hope for us. Because we're not on the level of Abraham, I know that. He has to repeat the promises, and, and Abraham says, when, when God asks where Sarah is, well, she's in the tent. Why was she in the tent? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever just ask why in Scripture? I mean, you guys really should. When you read Scripture, you should ask the question of why because you will get so much more deeper in your study into, your, in, in, into what God is actually saying. If you just ask the question of why, when you come up to something in Scripture, you're just like, why is that? Why, why was she in the tent? Just little details, and then you can explore that. Well, culturally in that time, women, were, especially if, if, if they were having a meal together, this wasn't a thing where like, no, the woman stays inside and she doesn't eat with the men. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is typically when a woman was on her, you know, that time of month, it meant that she was quote-unquote unclean. And so she had to be kind of separated from the rest of, of the camp. I know, that's weird, and it doesn't make any sense to us now, but that's what it was then. And so there's a theory out there, and rem I, I got to tell you, this is only a theory, okay? Got me? This is only a theory. It doesn't say it in the Bible. It can be inferred, but we have to be careful when we try to infer things in Scripture, okay? If we try to fill in gaps, if we try to do any of that kind of stuff, it could lead us in the wrong direction. It's probably why the church has split so many different times and it's gone so off track for so long is because we've just inferred things and taken them as truth and taken them as, as, as law. So I preface that to say this is only a theory that Sarah miraculously has gone back on her cycle at 90 years old and she's probably like, What's going on? <laughs> I need to go see the, the doctor or whatever it was in that time because something weird is happening. So she might be in the tent for that reason. And maybe that's why God's asking, where's Sarah? Anything going on with her lately? Something a little bit weird? It's because she's going to have a child soon. Those are just little details that you don't even think about, right? Like, how, how is that even possible? Maybe that's why. All right, let's keep going. Verse 11. Are you guys looking ahead at all and be like, there's 33 verses 
He was not lying about the two hours. Now Abraham, verse 11, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. <laughs> That's such a good, good phrase. <laughs> Write that down or underline it or something. I don't know. Or don't. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. <laughs> don't hide things from God. <laughs> don't, just don't even try. It, it, it says that she's saying this to herself. And Sarah, and Sarah was listening at the tent door, uh, and, and she laughed to herself, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. She said it to herself. She laughed inside. You know how you kind of do that? Like if you're watching Netflix alone or something, a comedy special, and you just kind of like breathe a little bit heavier out of your nose, like, <laughs> like that. Like it's not real. You don't laugh out loud, even though you could if you were with other people. I'm the only weird person. Cool, got it. So I do that, and, and, and you laugh to yourself. Like, that's kind of what Sarah's doing. So it wasn't an audible laugh, and then she's thinking to herself, yeah, right, I'm going to have a child now. Even though God had promised them over and over again, just a couple of months ago, he changed Sarai's name to Sarah and, 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 and to, to, to bless this nation. And Abram got his name changed to Abraham just a short time ago. And already she's like, nah, that's not happening. I know myself. And even while she's in the tent, she's still saying, I don't think this is going to be for me. It's a laugh of unbelief. In chapter 17, Abraham laughs at this promise of God that, that he's going to bring a child to Abraham within the next year. And Abraham also laughs in chapter 17, but it's a laugh of, of great joy, of believing the promise that God had. And then Sarah's laugh is a little bit different. She's like, yeah, right. That's not happening. That's not happening. God is interpreting, and, and God says, no, you did laugh, and, and that's okay. Let's be honest with who we are. Let's be vulnerable, like what Clayton just talked about. Let's be vulnerable with God. Let's, let's tell him what's on our mind. Let's, let's be honest and open about what, he's, what we've got going on in our lives. We have stuff going on in our lives, right? I mean, unless you guys have the most awesome life possible, there's stuff that you've got going on in your life. But we can be open and honest with the God of the universe with that. It's a laugh of unbelief. So God says that he's going to give them a son. And this isn't the first time that God promises a son to people. Back in, or, or move forward a, a, a few hundred years, depending on what you believe. Move forward a bit, and uh, you see God, an angel, appearing to a woman named Elizabeth, saying, you're going to have a son. And Elizabeth is well beyond her years as well. Elizabeth is like, I'm not going to have a son. Nope, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to name him John. I mean, John the Baptist. And then he appears to somebody else, this, this lady named Mary. You might have heard of her. And he, and he says to Mary, the angel says to Mary, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to take away the sins of the world. God shows up. 
and we can trust him. All right, let's keep going. Verse 16, we got, a, we got a quick change in the story. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. This was a normal thing for them to do, just to set them on their way. Abraham uh, walked with, with the guys. This was a customary thing, again, in this time, where if, you were, if your, your guests were leaving, you would walk with them for a while. We have something similar in Michigan called the Michigan Goodbye, where you go from the living room, then to the kitchen, then to the entryway or the exit way, depending on which way you're headed, and then maybe to the deck if it's summertime outside. That's the Michigan goodbye, right? You don't actually ever say goodbye until like their car handle is, is open, like they're getting in the truck and you're following them to the truck, you're following them to the car, and you're still talking while they're saying goodbye. And then you sit while they're sitting in the truck and you're just standing out there, you're still having a conversation with them as they're driving away. <laughs> and then they shut the door and drive away. You're like, okay, yeah, I guess I'll see you later. <laughs> I had more to share, but I guess we're done now. That's a Michigan goodbye. That, that's where we get it from, right there. <laughs> that's where we get it from. It's, maybe it's not a Michigan thing. Maybe it's just a, a thing that happens. But this is a customary thing where Abraham walks with these three gentlemen, one of them being God Most High. And he's walking them out, and they walk for a while. I was uh, listening to a book, uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, recently. It is called Green Lights. It's pretty fascinating if you want to read it, if you're interested in that kind of thing. Uh, he went to Africa and um, wrestled a dude. I don't know. It's weird. Matthew McConaughey does weird stuff sometimes. But he wrestled the guy, and then he went on to the next town, and this guy walked with him 12 miles to the next town, and then turned around and came back home. <laughs> the guy that he had wrestled. I don't know. It's a customary thing that people do. So this is something that Abraham is doing. It's not, again, out of a huge reverence for, 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 this, this, uh, for, for Jesus being there. This is just the custom of the time. Verse 17, the Lord said, this is where it gets weird, I'm going to tell you, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? He's talking to himself. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, so now he's going to talk out loud. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they... <clears throat> whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Honestly, you guys, I don't know what to do with this part of Scripture. If I can be completely honest with you, I have studied this, I've looked at it, I've read this chapter a bunch of times. I've, I've been working on this for a few weeks now, and I, I still, even this morning, I was, I was trying to figure out where to go with this. And, and I don't know. There are things that I don't know about God. Is that okay for me to say? There are things that I do not know. I cannot comprehend. Why, why did he have to talk to himself like that? Why did God talk to himself and say, well, what should I do? Should I tell Abraham about what I'm gonna, about to do or should I not? Because, again, God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything, so why was he saying that? I've read commentary that says that was for us. God inspired the word of God. He inspired the writers to write it, and so that's for us to know what was going on in God's head. 
but he already knew what he was going to do. So it, I don't know. Can I say that? Can I say that I don't know? Is that right? Because I don't know. There are things that I can know about God, and there are things that I cannot know about God, and this is one of the things that I can't know about God. In Deuteronomy, it says there are secret things that belong to God, and you know when we're going to find out what those secret things are? When we get there and see him face to face. Until then, we have to be okay with the unknown. There's got to be a little bit of faith there somewhere. And he has this conversation with Abraham. And God wanted Abraham to know something. The reason he tells Abraham is because he wanted Abraham to know. He wanted him to know about what was going to happen. God is inviting Abraham into this this conversation. God is inviting Abraham into this this decision-making process, even though he didn't need to invite Abraham into this decision-making process. He wanted to include Abraham. And he wants us to see his line of thinking. And I'll just say that we are on a need-to-know basis with God and with life. And that might not sit well with all of us, Because we might think, you know what? I demand to know what God has planned. I demand to know everything about who God is and what he's about and what he's going to do with my life. And God's like, you're on a need-to-know basis. When when, when you need to know, I'll let you know. But until then, just keep walking in faith. That doesn't sit well with all of us. And God hears the outcry of the righteous. That part I wasn't sure what to do with. God didn't need the outcry of the righteous to do something about Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted the outcry of the righteous. He didn't need to hear to make sure that it was truthful, to make sure that what he was hearing was right. He didn't have to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see for himself, but he does it. Why? Why? That brings me to our our points for today. This whole thing is about prayer. This whole topic, this whole chapter is on prayer. You'll see in the next few verses, we're not going to get into them because he just kind of repeats himself. They're going to go check out what's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham knows that what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah isn't great. And he knows that destruction is imminent. And so Abraham starts interceding. That means to, to present your requests And I chose to to keep verse 22 in there, even though it was a weird spot. But it says that, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. The other two went on, and Abraham planted himself before the Lord, and he was like, let's talk about this Sodom and Gomorrah thing. Did that catch God offhand? Or no. Off guard? Nope. God was like, I know he's going to stand there. And again, this is where it doesn't make sense to me, but we're going to keep going through it. And Abraham says, what if there's 50 people who are, who are righteous? Will you, will you save Sodom and Gomorrah if we can find 50 people who are righteous? And God says, if there's 50, I'll save it. And Abraham is like, if I can be so bold, if I may, go a little bit further. What if there's only five less than that? What if there's only 45? And God says, if there's only 45, I'll save Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham is testing it now. He's saying, okay. There's 45, I, I gotta ask you. What if there's only 30? What if there's only 30 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah? What if we can only find, there's a big city, there's a lot of people there. What if we can just find 30 people? Will you, will you withhold judgment? And God said, if there's only 30 people, I will withhold judgment. He gets all the way down to 10 people. 
Abraham is just grasping at straws here. He knows that his, his, his nephew, Lot, is in Sodom. He knows that he's going to be there. Lot's there. And so he's doing some quick math in his head probably. Abraham's like, okay, I've got Lot, uh, Lot's wife maybe. Um, they've got a couple of daughters, I think. If he's a guy like me, he's not quite sure how many kids they have, but he knows it's somewhere in that range, right? Like uh, we were at an open house this week, and I don't remember uh, what people do, where they're from, or uh, even how many kids some of my siblings have. But um, so Abraham is probably like that. He's like, there's probably around 10 of them. I hope I got that right, right? So around 10 of them. Okay, so God, if there's only 10 righteous people there, will you save Sodom and Gomorrah? Will you withhold judgment? And he says, if there's only 10, I will withhold judgment. And you're going to have to find out what happens next week. Next week, you're going to have to find out what happens. So I want to bring this up. Do you get jealous of Abraham ever? Do you get jealous of, when you read the Old Testament, of things that are going on, of how people are, are having this, this conversation, it's seemingly this, this awesome conversation with God present right in front of them? Do you get jealous of that? Like, man, why can't God just show up right in front of me and we can have this conversation? Do you guys ever think about that? Like, the, the physical manifestation of God shows up. Man, why, why doesn't that happen anymore? I, I, I think it happened few and far between, actually, here, because... Here's why. How often did Abraham hear God's voice or just have an intuition about what God was telling him to do? Like God didn't actually physically show up unless it says that he physically showed up. But like in the beginning, in chapter 12, when Abraham was called to go out uh, from his family, do you think God showed up and actually physically was there? Or did the writer, did, did Moses write this when he wrote Genesis, just say, the Lord told him to go. Because in my life, if I am trying to convey something that happened to me, like when we started Restoration Church, if I'm trying to convey like, well, how did you know how to do this? Like, what, how did you know that this was the right thing? And, and to, if I don't want to talk to somebody, I can just be like, God told me to. <laughs> right? I mean, there's a longer story beyond that, but it's just, no, God told me to go do this, and so we did this thing. How many times is that like that in Scripture, actually, where it's like, I, I don't know, God told me to do it. And they just sum it up like that. Moses is just like, yeah, God told him to do it. I'm going to spare you all of the details because you don't need to know. All you need to know is God told him to go do it. And I, and I look at chapter 18 and I, and, and I get jealous because this is a physical manifestation of God. And then I realize when, when I realize that this sermon is just about prayer. That's all it is. God showed up and Abraham has a conversation with God. Do you know what prayer is? It's a conversation with God. Prayer is a conversation. That's my first point. Prayer is simply a conversation. There's these little comic strips that I, I like to read sometimes um, called Coffee with Jesus. Have you guys read those? They're, they're pretty fun. Um, they, they make great points, actually. They're not just silly, but it, it's, it's, it's this idea of just coffee with Jesus. And it's uh, like, personally, they're having coffee, obviously, and they're asking him just different questions. And it's just the most simplest form of questions, asking about their life. You guys can read some of these. It's not scripture, it's not Bible, but it's pretty awesome just to read. And it's pretty lighthearted, but it makes us think about some of these things, these conversations that we get to have with Jesus. It's just a conversation. Prayer is just a conversation. And too many times our conversations are very one-sided, aren't they? 
Very much so. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. Here you're going to listen to me. Listen to everything that I have to say. If I have friends like that, I do have a couple of them. I don't really consider them friends, though. Um, they, they talk all the time. They just, they, they don't stop. I, I can't get a word in. It's like that's a one-sided conversation. <laughs> Prayer is a conversation. Abraham is considered a friend of God's. He's called a friend of God's. If you look it up in James chapter uh, 2, uh, he talks about being that Abraham is a friend of God. You and I, if we follow Jesus, are friends of God. Jesus, in John chapter 15, calls his disciples friends of God, of him. You are, you are no longer my servants, but I now call you my friends, is what Jesus says to his disciples. And if we are disciples, if we are acting like Jesus would, if we are following Jesus, then he considers us friends, Prayer is a conversation, and I, and I have a hard time looking at it like that way. Honestly, you guys, this topic is a hard one for me because I don't always understand prayer. I don't always understand how it works. I don't understand. I'm not very good at it. I don't do it enough, if I can be completely honest with you. But I have people around that do pray, and that's pretty awesome. In fact, on Sunday mornings here, if you want to be a part of this, on Sunday mornings at 9.15 a.m., uh, our friend Elizabeth and Tim, they, they lead now our prayer ministry here at the brewery at 9.15. They show up and they pray. And if you want to be a person who just comes and prays, we invite you to come. 9.15, Sunday mornings, you can pray with Tim and Elizabeth. Because that's on Elizabeth's heart specifically. Prayer is on her heart tremendously. And she wants us to be a church that prays together. And I figured, you know what? If, if we're going to have a prayer ministry, then the person who's incredibly passionate about prayer should probably be the one that leads that ministry. And I can learn from that. And we all can learn from that ministry. What does it look like to pray? Prayer is a conversation. I've got to keep going. Prayer invites us into God's promises. This is that weird conversation that God has with Abraham, that he has with himself first, and then he has with Abraham to invite him in. This is the weird part of the cry of the, the righteous calling out. This is, we get to be involved in the promises of God. We get to be involved. Prayer invites us into God's promises. Sometimes I'll have a chat with my kids, and I know the answer. I know exactly what's going to be happening next. I know how to, like, what we need to do. But I'll invite them into the conversation. I'll invite them into the decision-making process just so that they can feel a part of it. And that's exactly what God does with us. And counseling, the best thing about, like, for people who are really good at counseling, they always ask the question of why and, and how did that make you feel. And really good counselors will get you talking. They know the answer. They know what you need to arrive at. They know what you need to do, but they want you to arrive there. The, the best counselors, the best recovery groups always make that person arrive to that point on their own. And that's what we get here. Jesus invites us in to commune with him and share in his blessing. We get to ask questions. We get to have this prayer life with God because of what he's done for us. And when we do that, when we get invited in, when we accept that invitation, we get invited into God's promises. In James, if you want to head over there real quick, just briefly, because we've got to wrap up, I just want to read this for you. James uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Whoa, that escalated quickly. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Listen to this. You do not have because you do not 
ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I spend some time in prayer, I try to, and inevitably, I get distracted. I get distracted. I, I mean, as you can tell, like this is horrendous for me to try to get, keep on point here because there's so many lights and so many things to see. But I, I get so distracted, and, and I, think, I don't think that's just for me. I think we're in a distracted society where it's like, you know what, I'm gonna turn on Netflix, I'm gonna watch this, I'm gonna see what's happening on social media, I'm gonna just, I gotta stay connected to the things around me. How much are we missing because we're getting distracted by so many things? There's times where it's like, okay, I'm gonna spend some time in prayer, I'm gonna spend some time just thinking about who God is, I'm gonna spend some time in scripture, I'm just gonna spend some time doing that. And then the next thing I know, I'm seeing the, the funny things on Instagram or on YouTube, or going down a bunny trail on YouTube, or reading news articles or something. When I, I'm just wasting my time. I'm just wasting time. How many times have I missed something that God wants to do in my life, is willing to do in my life, just because I saw a funny video on YouTube and decided to do that instead? Prayer invites us into God's promises. Last thing, Two questions I want to ask you guys. Number one, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's what the question he asks Sarah when she's talking to herself. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. Last question, who are you praying for? What are you praying for, and who are you praying for? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anyone too far from the Lord? There's a guy that I have read about before who didn't do everything right. Uh, in fact, he did a lot of things wrong. Um, he ended up eventually having an affair with the woman, and... It didn't end there. Uh, he got pretty jealous of her husband. That's a story I read. And ends up having her husband murdered. But then he was still connected to Jesus, still connected to God, got connected to God, got reconnected, found his faith again. Yeah, it was King David. Wasn't a great guy, but he was counted as a man after God's own heart. Who are you praying for? Think about the Apostle Paul who had his hand in murdering Christians. Do you think anybody prayed for Paul when he was Saul? Do you think anybody prayed for him? Like, boy, I gotta... If that guy could make a change... <laughs> what that would do for the kingdom. We're getting persecuted. We're getting killed out here. Maybe. Who are you praying for? There's a friend of mine who just reached out to me, and uh, 
he became an atheist, an anarchist, and he was very into like punk rock and stuff, like long time. And I had written him a letter like, like when I was like in high school of just inviting him into who Jesus was. He grew up Catholic and then he went way the other direction. And he got a hold of me a couple of months ago. He messaged me on Facebook and he was like, I just want to let you know. Uh, I've talked with him a few times over the last couple of years. And uh, he said, I just want to let you know that I'm really intrigued by what you're doing. And um, I've turned my life around and I'm no longer an anarchist. I'm no longer following any of that kind of stuff. And I'm exploring what faith looks like and getting reconnected with God and who he is. And this was a guy that I thought was never, I mean, he posted awful stuff, especially on Easter. And here he was just a couple years later, a complete turnaround because people prayed for him. So who are you praying for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your kindness, God. I pray that we have this conversation with you, that we treat it as a conversation. Um, thank you for all you have given to us. God, I pray that we would uh, continue this conversation with you. And it's in your name we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.